Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity you've blessed us with this morning to gather as your children. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son so that we truly can celebrate with hearts that are full of gratitude this morning for providing a way through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to be in a right relationship with you, God. And so we celebrate that this morning, but not just this morning. I pray they would celebrate that every day through the way that we live our lives. And so, Lord, help us now as we open your word to understand the responsibility we have as ambassadors of your kingdom. I pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I get started, if you happen to be visiting uh, with us today and you have children in grades six and under, they can be dismissed to their time downstairs for Spark City. And uh, we have a great ministry team there waiting to uh, take care of them and share the good news with them. If you've watched the classic movie, Mary Poppins, you will be familiar with the character Bert, the friendly chimney sweep, who uh, also moonlighted as a sidewalk chalk artist, a kite seller, and a one-man band. Do you know the person I'm talking about? Well, there's one scene in that movie in particular where Bert is performing as a one-man band with all of his energy to a group of bystanders outside a city park and uh, hoping to maybe gain a little financial support from them. And uh, what's interesting about that scene is it's, it's very obvious that the bystanders who are there watching him are thoroughly enjoying being entertained by Bert as he moved around and every movement created, created noise, but it actually worked really well. But what's interesting is how their attitudes and their demeanor completely switched as soon as they were given the opportunity to personally support him. After he had performed and done everything that he could to try and gain their support, most of them turned away and walked off. A few of them did respond with a little bit of financial support. Unfortunately, if we're not careful, that same scenario can take place within the church. What I mean is if we rely on one-man bands, or if we have too many bystanders who simply enjoy being entertained but offer little support, the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be negatively impacted. And as Pastor Rick said this morning, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where that is not the case, where so many of us and so many of you are active and involved and supporting the work here at Calvary Baptist Church. But I think we need to be careful that we don't ever get complacent. That's why it's always good to be reminded that effectively fulfilling the Great Commission calls for full participation, full participation from every believer. And we will see this demonstrated in Paul's final comments as he wraps up his letter to the Colossians. So I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, where we will be looking at today verses 7 to 18, and we will wrap up our series in Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. 
A fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him, that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hariopolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you turn in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Did you notice all the different people that Paul referred to in these 12 verses? At least you didn't have to learn how to pronounce their names like I did. I believe he named 10 different individuals in these 12 verses, who together formed a beautiful picture of how individuals who make up the body of Christ work together to fulfill the Great Commission. As author Scott Pace says, as members of the body of Christ, we are called to cooperate and collaborate as we serve Jesus and partner with each other to fulfill his mission and build his kingdom. This is King Jesus' expectation of every believer who has been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into his wonderful kingdom of light. And from these verses, there are three characteristics of what I'm calling this morning, all in disciples. Three characteristics of all in disciples that are demonstrated in the lives of these 10 individuals that Paul refers to, that I trust will both encourage us and challenge us to make sure that we are being fully participating members of the body of Christ in the mission of Christ. And the first characteristic I see appears in verses four to seven. All in disciples personally serve Christ and willingly share his message. They personally serve Christ and willingly share his message. We see this obviously modeled first by Paul himself. Let's not forget that this letter of encouragement and exhortation is being written from a prison cell in Rome. Not the situation that you would expect someone to be writing a letter of encouragement to those who are free. Instead, you'd expect it to be the other way around. So what was it about Paul that kept him from not being overwhelmed with his circumstances and not giving up on the mission? You've heard this throughout the letter. He knew who he was and he knew whose he was. You see, knowing who you are and whose you are will keep you and me from getting overwhelmed and giving up on the mission as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Paul knew he was a minister of Christ, and Paul knew that he was a messenger of Christ. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he introduces himself as Paul, a servant. Some of your translations would say a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And you and I both know from reading the scriptures that Paul was not a bystander. 
Paul was an all-in disciple who traveled over 10,000 miles and established at least 14 churches. And what motivated Paul to remain active in the mission in spite of his imprisonment was he understood that he had been miraculously rescued on the road to Damascus from the domain of darkness and had been brought into the kingdom of Christ for a purpose. And that purpose was to be a servant of Christ. He knew he was not his own. He had been bought with a price. And because he did not operate as a one-man band, he continued to serve Christ and he continued to share Christ's message even though he was in prison by collaborating with other Great Commission co-workers to make sure that the gospel continued to advance not only to those he was writing to in Colossae, but elsewhere. And so in verse 7, we are introduced to two of these co-workers who he was collaborating with to advance the mission of Christ. We have Tychicus, who is a Gentile convert, and we have Onesimus, a runaway slave. And by enlisting these two men, Paul was helping them to learn that, and helping us to learn that the practical outworking of their salvation and of our salvation is to serve, to serve as ministers of Christ and to be messengers for Christ. Tychicus, who had accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey and had spent considerable time with Paul in his Roman imprisonment, was entrusted to be the primary letter carrier for Paul to the believers in Colossae. Now, different than the Canada post worker who simply drops the letter off in your mailbox and then leaves, that's not how it was for letter carriers in those days. Tychicus' responsibility as the letter carrier in those days included not only delivering the letter, but then having to read the letter to the congregation upon arrival. That's not it, though. Explain and expand on anything that needed, and then answer any questions that arose, whether about the content of the letter or whether about Paul and his situation. I would probably go on strike if I was the letter carrier in those days. That's a big responsibility. Look what he says in verse 8. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. Being the representative, the spokesperson for Paul, but more importantly, ultimately a messenger for Christ, is a significant assignment. That is why Paul's endorsement of Tychicus was so important, so that the believers in Colossae would trust that he is a credible messenger. And notice the words that Paul used to describe him. A dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus was an all-in disciple, fully serving Christ and willing to share his message, not only in this situation to the believers in Colossae, but he also carried Paul's letters to Philemon, the Laodiceans, to the Ephesians, to Titus, and Paul's final letter to Timothy. And as I read about Tychicus this week and learned about this Great Commission co-worker. Here's the question that came to my mind, and I want you to ask yourself the same question. Do my actions affirm that I can be considered a trustworthy messenger for Christ? Do my actions affirm that I can be considered a trustworthy messenger for Christ? That's why Paul in chapter 3 verse 17 said, whether whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. 
Because how we live out our lives is going to affect the credibility we have with those who we want to share the message of Christ with. So I encourage you, make sure your actions affirm that you can be considered a trustworthy messenger for Christ. But we see in verse 9 that Tychicus was not going alone in this mission, was he? Paul mentions another Great Commission co-worker, Onesimus, a somewhat surprising Great Commission co-worker. I say surprising because you will recall that he is a runaway slave. From where? Colossae, where he was a bond servant of a very prominent man within the church named Philemon. In fact, the church in Colossae gathered in Philemon's house. Isn't that interesting? So is it not surprising to you knowing who Onesimus is that Paul here refers to him as our faithful and dear brother who is one of you? What's going on? He's broke the law. He's a runaway slave. And you're referring to him as our faithful and dear brother who is one of you? This is the beauty of the transformation power of the gospel in salvation. This is Onesimus' testimony. Your testimony, my testimony, reveals the beauty of the transformation power of the gospel in salvation. Being saved redefines who we are. And for 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, those who are in Christ are a new creation, a new creation. So sometime between running away from Philemon and fleeing to Rome to being sent on this missionary assignment back to Colossae, Onesimus' life was transformed by God's saving grace through the ministry of Paul while he was in prison. Onesimus' identity was changed from being a runaway slave to, as Paul describes him, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. And did you know Paul does not refer to him by who he was, does he? I'm also sending Onesimus that runaway slave. No, he doesn't do that. Rather, he refers to him by his redeemed character and his position in Jesus Christ. You might be here this morning and you might be saying, I haven't really got fully into serving Christ and I'm not totally willing to share his message because if you knew my past, Pastor Calvin, I don't think I qualify to do that. If you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are qualified to serve him and be a messenger for him. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you about who you were because in Christ you are a new creation. And so I encourage you to remember your identity and your position in Christ. In fact, later in his letter to Philemon, who is Onesimus' rightful owner, Paul refers, refers to him, that is Onesimus, as a son and exhorts Philemon to accept Onesimus back, no longer as a slave, but as a dearly loved brother. You see, being redeemed changes our identity and it gives us new purpose. It gives us new purpose. Formerly, Paul says to Philemon, referring about to Onesimus, he was useless to you. But now, he has become useful to both you and me. And Onesimus became fully engaged, a full participant in the Great Commission. How do I know that? Because he served Paul personally while Paul was in prison. And did he do it half-heartedly? Not at all. He did it with all of his might and all of his strength and all of his heart. How do I know that? Because Paul says he wanted to keep him with him so that he could help him well in chains for the gospel. 
But Paul knew that he had to go back to his rightful owner. He had to go back to Colossae. And Paul was confident that Onesimus' new identity in Christ and his newfound purpose as a member of the body of Christ would be the basis for his restoration back into his community. Tychicus and Onesimus, two of Paul's great commission co-workers, gladly served Christ and willingly shared his message. And just as they were invited by Paul to participate in this mission, brothers and sisters, the Lord commissions all believers as ambassadors for Christ to carry the message of reconciliation. We have been entrusted to deliver the good news of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Are you all in? Are you all in personally serving Christ and willingly sharing his message? The second characteristic I see of all-in disciples, we read about in verses 10 to 14. All-in disciples actively encourage and build up the body of Christ. You remember that one of Paul's main intentions and purposes for writing the believers in Colossae was to encourage them, to let them know of his support for them, and to build them up in their faith in the midst of increasing opposition. As a church, they were continuing to wrestle with the implications of now living out their new faith in their community. And on top of that, they were dealing with the ongoing harassment from false teachers. And the combination of these two factors, living out your life in word and deed as a believer for Jesus Christ in your culture, and also facing opposition from false teachers, created a perfect environment where division and discouragement could have crept in amongst the believers. And so Paul, in an effort to keep that from happening, even in his closing comments as we read this morning, continues to seek ways, find ways to encourage them, build them up in their faith. And he does this by passing along personal greetings and testimonies from other faithful Great Commission co-workers with the hope that by them receiving these greetings from other faithful believers in Rome would encourage the believers in Colossae and would help them realize the broad network of support that they have now that they are in the body of Christ. And so in verses 10 to 14, Paul refers to six different individuals, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, who all send their greetings to the believers in Colossae. I don't know how many of you have experienced the encouragement as a believer when you receive a text, an email, a card, or a phone call from another believer just to let you know that they're thinking of you, just to let you know that they're praying for you, and that they want to encourage you. I was talking last week with a, a lady from our church who has recently become a widow. And her comment to me was, after we talked on the phone, she says, I don't know how people in this world make it without Christ or connection to his church. She's absolutely right. She is absolutely right. That's why we must not forsake gathering ourselves together so that we can encourage one another and we can build each other up. Because you see, in Christ, we not only have the promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, but we also have the blessing, the blessing of being part of God's family. 
I don't know, I think sometimes in the West we take that blessing for granted. One of the big things that the Lord impacted me on the sabbatical that I was on early in this year was by God's grace, we have to continue as a local body of believers to grow in our genuine love for one another as brothers and sisters. We need to, by God's grace, create an atmosphere when we gather here, if people come in, that they're just shocked that such relationship, such love, such care, such concern for one another exists in the world today. That's who we are supposed to be. And it is a blessing to be a part of God's family. Amen? And so then through the example of Epaphras, Paul elaborates on how we can practically continue to encourage one another and build each other up in verses 12 to 14. What does he say about Epaphras? Epaphras, who is, the one, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greeting. Listen to this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Verse 13, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Did you see what Paul says about him? What can we learn from Epaphras' example? We can encourage and build the body of Christ up through prayer and sacrificially serving one another. Through prayer and sacrificially serving one another. And did you notice how he prayed? He is always, Paul says, wrestling in prayer for you. Last week we learned that in prayer we're to be watchful. We're to be thankful. We're to be missional. Through Epaphras' life this week we're learning as we try to strengthen and build each other up through prayer that we need to be doing it constantly. That we need to be doing it fervently. That's the same word that describes an athlete who gives himself fully to their sport. That's how we need to be praying for each other. Fervently, constantly, fervently. And thirdly, we need to pray specifically. Do you see what he says there? He said that he is praying for you. Prayer for Epaphras was not an impersonal exercise. His love for his fellow believers compelled him to pray constantly, fervently, and specifically. He prayed in accordance with what he knew the challenges were that they were facing. So knowing what they were up against, living as citizens of the kingdom of Christ, along with the opposition from false teachers, what does he pray? That they would stand firm. Stand firm. Father, help them to stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Do you pray constantly? Do you pray fervently? And do you pray specifically for one another? That's what we need to do. But in addition to his support for them through prayer, he also sacrificially served the body of Christ. Not just in Colossae, but also in Laodicea and Hierapolis, two cities that were actually in very close proximity to Colossae. Epaphras was an all-in great commission co-worker, and Paul vouches for him in verse 13. He is working hard for you and those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. His level of support for the body of Christ revealed their personal value to him. It revealed his passion for the gospel, and it also revealed his total reliance on divine strength to serve the body of Christ. We need to serve and build each other up. Before we move on to look at the third characteristic of all in disciples, I don't want us to miss the unique makeup 
of this group of six individuals who sent their greetings to the believers in Colossae because who they are and what they did reflects the oneness that we enjoy in Christ in spite of our different ethnic backgrounds. I love this morning the pre-service prayer. It was the most ironic, cool thing. My dear Nigerian brother with his awesome accent was praising God for the beautiful snowy day. And I thought, I wonder how many Canadians in this room are going, Lord bless that man. Like, it was beautiful, right? The oneness we enjoy in Christ, despite of our ethnic background, despite of our physical differences, despite of our differences in social status. And so Paul mentions these six. He mentions the first set of three co-workers, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. They were all converted Jews. And then he mentions Epaphras and Luke and Demas. They were Gentiles. So here we have Jews and Gentiles participating in the mission together to advance the gospel. But then within those sets of individuals, we have those who seemingly had prominent connections to Paul and seemingly higher profiles, like Aristarchus and Mark, and like Epaphras and Luke. But then mixed in, we have these two gentlemen, Jesus called Justice, the only time his name is ever mentioned in the New Testament, and Demas, who is mentioned only three times in Paul's letters, and those three references tell a story because he was once a fully participating Great Commission co-worker, but had drifted and fell in love with the world. And yet they are included in Paul's list of Great Commission co-workers. You and I both know that we live in a culture where celebrity status is praised and elevated. Brothers and sisters, we must guard against this attitude creeping into the church. Jesus is the only one to be praised and elevated at Calvary Baptist Church. Yes, within the body of Christ, we have different roles. And yes, Christ has given us the structure of leadership for how his church is to function, But there are no celebrities, nor should there be too many one-man bands within the body of Jesus Christ. Every child, every one of you, everyone in God's family is significant and plays an important role within his plan. You can read about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that every part works together and every part needs the other part to effectively function as the body of Christ. And that diversity that we see represented in this list of six people, again, emphasizes the value that every part of the body of Christ has and the unity that is possible when everyone is centered on fully participating in the Great Commission. I'm not sure when we first read the text this morning if you were moved at all by the list of names that you heard read. But I encourage you, when you get behind the scenes and discover the drama of these men's lives that worked with Paul, the list becomes very exciting. You have a runaway slave redeemed. You have Mark, who started out so strong on the first missionary with with Paul and Barnabas and then bailed on them ending up causing division between Paul and Barnabas. And yet yet here you see Paul saying in his letter, make sure when Mark comes, you welcome him. What happened? The same transforming power that changed Onesimus through salvation also happened in Mark as a disciple. He moved from an immature disciple of Jesus Christ to a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. To the point where Paul, when he's on his deathbed, asked, please send Mark. He is useful to me in the ministry. You have Luke, a doctor, 
You have Justice, we don't know anything about him. And we have Demas, who once was faithful, but is still included in this list. The realities and the people mentioned in these verses are perfect expression of every local church, the body of Jesus Christ that Paul has been referencing throughout his letter. As the church, Christ is our head and we are his body. And as members of the body of Christ, we are united to him, but we are nourished and held together by supporting ligaments and tendons of one another. All these six individuals demonstrated what it means to serve and to encourage and build each other up. We too are called to encourage and build each other up. Are you all in? Are you all in? Are you actively encouraging and building others up? The third and final characteristic I see in Paul's closing comments is that all in disciples faithfully support the global reach of the church. In verses 15 to 18, after sending messengers to the church, Tychicus and Onesimus, and conveying greetings from fellow co-workers in Rome, Paul closes off his letter by calling on the Colossians to personally join in and be active participants in the ongoing mission of Christ. And just as Paul had done for those six individuals, now in verse 15, he requests the Colossians on his behalf to give his greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Highlighting once again the close connection and collaboration that was to exist between neighboring communities of believers. As was further illustrated in his instructions in verse 16. He says, after this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea, which was, most scholars believe, the letter to the Ephesians. There was this community and this caring for one another, sharing for one another, make sure no one's missing out going on amongst these community of believers. The churches in Colossae, Laodicea and Hierapolis needed each of their individual members we need it from all of us as individual members here at Calvary Baptist Church to be faithful to the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ at large. Not just here in Oshawa. Why? Because participating in the Great Commission reminds us that Christ's mission for the church includes reaching both our local community and beyond. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go into all the nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's how we are supposed to function. We are supposed to be faithfully supporting the global reach of the church and the Great Commission. Over the last couple of years, we have been moved as a congregation with compassion for the situation of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine not just in the Ukraine, though, with our fellow Canadians in the East Coast as a result of the hurricane that went through there. And also this year, being introduced to the plight of boys in Lebanon. And we were moved as a congregation and we felt compelled to sacrificially give an offering to the Lord on their behalf. Why? Of course, to help meet the practical, physical needs that they had 
But also I pray that as we've studied this passage this morning, you also see that our sacrificial giving to the Lord on their behalf is important so that they will be reminded as brothers and sisters of ours that they are not alone and that God loves them. And I praise God for your generosity. I praise God for the generosity of Calvary Baptist Church over the years to faithfully support the global reach of the church. This year at our missions conference, we set a target of $30,000 for the Good Bone Project. And I asked Ida on Friday, Ida, how much has been received? And because of the generosity of God in your life and you responding to his goodness to you, knowing who you are and whose you are, and understanding the importance to faithfully support the global reach of the gospel, I'm pleased to, you know, for God's glory that we doubled our goal and over $59,000 has already been received for the Good Bones Project. Can we just thank God for his goodness to us? Can you imagine how encouraged and built up in their faith our brothers and sisters are when they receive this kind of support from brothers and sisters they don't know and most likely will never meet until we are in eternity together. But this is how the body of Christ is supposed to function. This is how we are able to be a living testimony, not only to each other in our sacrificial offering to the Lord for our brothers and sisters, but it's a great way to be a testimony to the world of God's love. You see, the reality of our individual membership within the greater context of the body of Christ should remind us of the privilege and the responsibility we have to participate fully in God's redemptive plan. And Paul highlights this personal responsibility of every believer in his challenge to Archippus in verse 17. Archippus, by the way, is Philemon's son. So you see a beautiful example there of where a father opening up his home to house the church, and now the next generation, his son, is also doing likewise. And Paul challenges him in verse 17. He says, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. A challenge that is totally applicable to every believer that is here this morning or watching online. Though Paul does not specify the nature of Archippus' calling, the ministry he had received was ultimately the same role of all believers. It was a call to serve because you were assigned it in the Lord. All citizens of the kingdom of Christ are called to serve him by, fully, by fulfilling the great commission through his power and by his grace. When we participate fully in the great commission through his power and by his grace, he will also receive all the glory. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, for what reason? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The global reach of the church, the global reach of the Great Commission. And Paul in verse 18, his personal autograph and his reminder of his chains were proof of his personal continued commitment to the same devotion he was calling the believers in Colossae to follow and all who would hear this letter and all of us who would read this letter today. 
And in the same way he started his letter by referring to the grace and peace of God, he ends his letter referring to the grace of God. Reminding them and reminding us today that in our endeavor to personally serve Christ and to willingly share his message, in our endeavor to actively strengthen and build each other up through encouragement, and in our endeavor to faithfully support the global reach of the gospel, of the church, is going to require us to rely on his power and his grace. Because that was Paul's testimony. Listen to how he describes his life in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God... I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. He didn't stay a bystander. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, Paul followed the example of his king, Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a one-man band. Throughout his earthly ministry, he invited people to follow him. People who he then commissioned to serve as ministers and messengers for him so that they might in turn invite others to follow Jesus. And the cycle has continued and we are still part of that great movement called the Great Commission that is going forward. The ministry of Jesus, as Daniel Aiken correctly says, the ministry of Jesus and his disciples was never one of passive observation. It was always one of active obedience. Are you all in? Are you all in serving Christ, willingly sharing his message? Are you all in to go to a different level of community within our body of Christ in terms of encouraging and building each other up? Are you all in to continue to be faithful to supporting the global reach of the church? I pray and I trust you are through his power, by his grace, and for his glory. We're going to close our service this morning by reading a responsive reading together. And if you in your heart desire to be an all-in disciple, then I would ask you to stand as we use this as a prayer of commitment to the Lord to be all-in in terms of the mission of the church. I will read a statement. What you will read will come up on the screen and I'd ask you to read enthusiastically with zeal because of who you are and because of whose you are. Will you join me? The mission of the church. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard?
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Declare his glory among all nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Father, thank you for the privilege of belonging to you. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of your family. Thank you so much that you saved us and changed our identity and gave us a new purpose, and that was to be great commission co-workers. Oh, God, help us not to be bystanders. Thank you for the example of these 10 people that Paul refers to at the end of his letter, and I pray that we truly would be all in disciples. In light of what you have done for us, oh, God, help us to faithfully continue the mission which these 10 people continued so many years ago so that your name, Jesus, will be lifted up and that people will be drawn to you for your glory and for your fame. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to end by quoting the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians eleven fifty-eight. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God help us. Amen.